You're listening to the Business in Morocco podcast, the podcast that discusses all things business and all things Morocco. My name is Ryan Mimone, and I'm here with my co-host, Ryan Kirk, and our goal is to share our knowledge and experiences in order to help you gain wisdom, skills, and habits that can help you succeed in business and in life. You can learn more about us by going to our website, moroccopodcast.com. All right, let's get started with today's episode. It's going to be a lovely day. All right, this is episode 21. Today we're going to be talking about sales and sales techniques. It is the first week of July. We're finished with the second quarter, starting the third quarter. Ryan, how you doing? What's new? I'm good. Summer's here, but it doesn't feel like it. I took my daughter to the second to last day of school, and it felt like I was in San Diego in December. <laughs> Cloudy, cool, and coming from Washington, D.C., it's a big difference. Yeah. It was very nice. I, I actually liked it a lot. As far as work goes, I'm continuing to focus on finding an office. And I have a few ideas in mind and a few partners that are interested in finding working space. So I'm looking at a variety of locations and types of offices, and I am narrowing it down. I've determined what neighborhood I want to locate in, and now it's just a matter of finding the right space. It can be very hard to find space to work in in Casablanca just because the properties are controlled by so many different people mm-hmm. and agents and SIMSARs control properties and it, sometimes it's hard to see a location. A lot of what's posted online is old or it's not true or when you call the phone number, nobody answers or nobody calls you back. <laughs> so it can be challenging and frustrating to find office space here in Casablanca. And the last thing is, I personally feel like the rents are pretty high when you look at the amount of vacancy in the city. Today I was riding around with an agent and we were driving all through the city and there are stores where the Rideau, they're all closed. Yeah. It's the middle of the day yeah. and they should be open and doing business and they're closed. And I asked the agent why why are all of these properties vacant? And she told me it's because the owners want too much rent. Yeah. And they don't understand that in order for a business to succeed, the rent has to make sense in the business model. Mm -hmm. You can expect a certain amount of revenue from a cafe or from a restaurant or a store or a salon or a retail establishment. And you have certain expenses that go along with that. If the rent is too high, then the business model just doesn't work. Right. And we were in a neighborhood where I lived last year. We were there today. And there are quite a few businesses that I remember were open last year and now they're closed. Mm. They're gone. Yeah. I think one of the best ways that Casablanca can improve is if the owners of property come down to market prices because it will improve the situation for everyone. There'll be more services, more products, more jobs. And when you have an entire block 
of empty real estate. Nobody wants to go there. Yeah. But if you were to bring the rents down, bring in more businesses, then suddenly it would be a place that people wanted to be. So. Yeah, think of the ripple effects of that. It, it will affect traffic patterns. You know, if you have more businesses available right at your doorstep, you don't have to travel as far to to get your needs met. So that's going to reduce traffic. And as as foot traffic increases, businesses will earn more revenue and will be able to afford higher rent. So over time, you could you could raise the rents as a neighborhood grows in its popularity. It also reduces crime rates. When you have these empty shops, it makes streets where there's not a lot of activity, not a lot of people. And that's where you can have a criminal kind of hiding out in a doorstep waiting for some unsuspecting person and snatch their phone. There's a lot of reasons why it would make a huge difference. I met with an entrepreneur this week that told me that 9 out of 10 properties in Morocco are owned outright meaning there's no mortgage on them, there's no loan on them. And my theory is that the financial markets in Morocco are very undeveloped. There's not a lot of things to invest in. So a lot of families store their wealth in real estate and in property. And you've said this to me before, for many of them, it's just like buying gold or buying silver. You're not renting it out. You're not earning any income on it. It's simply a a storage mechanism for your wealth that you're gonna you know it's gonna grow slowly over time or you're gonna pass it on to your children but it's not something you're looking to run as a business and so a lot of property owners don't view their real estate as a small business it's just simply wealth storage mechanism and it's unfortunate because it makes all these vacancies and it, and it lowers the value of, of neighborhoods yeah, that is the irony of the situation. If you don't view your real estate as a business, or if the culture does not view real estate as a business, it makes it harder to sell that property for everyone. Yeah, It makes it less liquid. I walk all over the city and everywhere I go, for sale, for sale, à vendre, à vendre. Magazine after magazine, after apartment, after office space all for sale mm -hmm. and if you think you're going to hold on to property and one day when you want to sell it you're going to be able to sell it you're going to have a lot of competition yeah and every day a villa is being torn down in the city and an apartment is going up in its place and guess what's going to be on the rate of chaussee magazines yeah magazines stores and somewhere in that building there'll be office space as well and so as we transition into the topic of the day, which is how to sell, one of the things I'm going to have to do when I eventually find a space that I want to rent is I'm going to have to sell the owner on coming down to market prices. Mm. Because a lot of the places that I want to rent are not viable for my business model. But I also need to sell the owner on the idea that it's better to take me as a tenant at a discounted rent than to leave it empty for another two, three, four, five years. Yeah, this was a business I strongly considered when I first moved to Morocco, simply after looking for a place to live with my family. I was amazed at the vacancies and all the real estate that had clearly been empty for years. And I was shocked at the condition of some of these properties and the philosophy of the landowners because 
they're they're showing me their property and it's in horrible condition and their thought was well if you want to rent it then i'll fix it up but it's hard to see past all the cockroaches and the peeling paint and blood splatter i mean I, we saw it all i was thinking wow if if someone came along and could convince these landlords I will make you profit if you let me run this property as a small business for you. And I'm going to take some profit myself, but you will make money if you let me take over. There's a serious opportunity there if you can convince landowners to do this. You just have to build trust with them and convince them that it's possible. They don't have to do any of the work. There's enough room to make money there where you can run a business and be paid and they will make a lot more money than they're making currently. Yeah, you know there's a problem when companies like Jumia are closing down some of their locations or BIM, B-I-M. Those are large companies that have established business models. And when they're moving out of locations, you know that there's something wrong with the economics of the revenue and the expenses and the rent. And I completely agree. There's a huge business opportunity out there for someone who can convince property owners to treat their properties like businesses and bring the rents down to market prices. This woman who owns a a piece of property that I'm looking at, it has clearly been vacant for several years. Mm -hmm. But if she had brought down the rent three years ago, it would have had a tenant for three years, which is... 36 months of rent yeah in a place like this at the rent she could get for it that's all she would need for retirement in a place like marrakesh yeah but instead it's been empty the whole time and if she sticks to the rent she's asking for it's going to stay empty because the basic economics of the property do not support the rent that she wants and that's the case for a lot of different places in Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I I have properties that I rent to individuals in Canada, and that's a temptation where you wanna squeeze every dollar, you wanna have the rent be as high as possible. But let's say I'm renting a a property for $1,500 a month, and I think I can probably get $1,550, and so I'm going for, you know, I wanna make every dollar I can, but if I, have the rent high enough that it discourages a potential tenant from taking it. They find another place for 1500 and decide to go with that. The amount of time it would take me to recoup that one month's rent, that $1,500 for squeezing that extra 50 is 30 months. It's two and a half years. So I'm crazy if I try to do that. I'm much better to put the rent down to about 90 to 95% of market rents and then I have an over demand and then I get to pick and choose from a pool of people that want my property. Because my place is a little bit below market value, I have an abundance of choices and I get to choose the best possible tenant. That's the much better strategy in the long run. Sounds like you need to do some consulting for some real estate companies <laughs> here in Casablanca. Yeah, it's true. All right, let's uh, dive into the topic of the day, which is how to sell. Ryan, we are both involved in selling. If you're involved in business, you are involved in selling in one way or another. Everybody needs customers. Some people would say that 
everyone in the world is involved in sales in some form because you're convincing your children of some sort of idea you're trying to sell your teacher on giving you an extension or giving you a higher grade even with your friends you're trying to sell a movie or the cafe of your choice we're we're constantly <laughs> convincing one another persuading each other and it's it's sales now our focus for today is on businesses and actual transactions that take place but there's an aspect of selling in in all of our lives the art of persuasion or the art of influence and i think the reason that sales is a hot topic is because often it's the art of persuasion or influence with people you don't know very well mm -hmm. so how do you convince someone that you just met to engage in business with you and for them to give you money that's always the key a sale is not a sale until the check is cashed right I think we'll start out with some basic principles for sales one is know your customer and Ryan you've talked about this before know yourself know your customer what can you tell us about this? Yeah, you've actually told a story where you didn't feel like you could serve your customer well based on your skills and the expertise that you were offering. You didn't feel like your customer was a good fit for you. So even though they might have been willing to give you money, you knew that in the long run, you weren't going to be able to satisfy the needs that they had for their business. And so it would hurt your reputation and hurt other relationships in your, your business's brand. Really, I see it as you're trying to decide if you are a good fit. The business has a need and they're willing to pay for that need. But just because you can get the money doesn't mean you should take that business unless you feel like you can deliver value to the customer to meet the needs that they have. So when I'm meeting a director and, and looking into the option of offering training to them, I want to make sure that the training that I can deliver, the areas that I have expertise in, are the ones that they need. Because if they're looking for something that I can't deliver, then I'm going to turn it down. And I'm, I'll recommend somebody else who has expertise in that area. Just a few months ago, I met with a director and it was a good opportunity for me. I knew this was going to be a large contract. It was going to be really significant for my business, but I wasn't willing to take it on unless I knew I could deliver. And so I was asking a lot of questions about the company, about the type of training that they do, about the type of training that they needed to make sure that I was the right man for the job, to make sure that I was a good fit. And after I was asking all these questions, I said, do you have any questions for me? You know, is there anything you want to know from your side? And the director said, nope, you ask the right questions. And what that showed me was that she was impressed that I was wanting to serve their needs, not just sell them what I could do, but make sure what I could do lined up with what they needed. And that's what got me the contract, and it's been really significant for my business. This episode is brought to you by London Academy. London Academy Casablanca is a trilingual smart school that provides an enhanced education through the Moroccan and international English language curriculum. Their innovative educational approach based on advanced information technology, sports, critical thinking, together with the international experience of their qualified teachers, enables their students to be prepared for the skills needed in the 21st century. London Academy says, we are the future, and these aren't just words painted on a wall. 
I've seen their students learning to program, building robots, developing problem-solving skills. There's a definite focus on IT and preparing students to succeed in the information age. London Academy, the first smart school in Morocco where learning is serious fun. Now back to the show. Yes, it's, it's key to make sure that the product or service that you offer is a good match with the customer, especially if your relationship is a service relationship that will be ongoing, mm-hmm. a monthly retainer fee, a monthly service fee. For example, if you sign the wrong client and you work for them for a few months and it ends up being a bad relationship, then it will end. And you wasted time on that short-term client when you should have been finding the right client that would be a long-term client you will be able to service for many years into the future. For example, I have one client right now who has turned into my ideal and likely buyer. Uh, She's a doctor. She has practice here in Casablanca. I did a lot of work for her in the beginning but what I do perfectly matches what she needs. So Mm -hmm. I've gotten to the point now where I only spend a few hours a month working on her account, but she gets exactly what she wants out of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's mutually beneficial. She's getting exactly what she wants. She's paying, and I'm not having to spend a lot of time working on the account. I just maintain it. And that is my ideal and likely buyer. So I have a a customer profile now that I'm developing that looks more like her and less like other folks that would require me to do a lot of work every month and they would not get the results that they're seeking. Yeah. So slowly but surely I am refining this customer profile and I will be discriminating from the beginning when it comes to the initial talk. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned was be prepared going into a, a sales conversation. Ryan, how do you prepare yourself for a sales meeting? Well, I think you want to be ready to answer likely questions. So you can, you can predict what some of the, the issues might be, what some of the needs might be of the company, or some of their concerns, some of their hesitations. So you want to be prepared and ready to answer those well. But r- related to asking questions, you want to make sure that you're highlighting the benefits of your product or service that will meet their needs. If I go in and I'm talking all about how how the the cost is is excellent and the the speed of my service is excellent, that may not be their issue. Money may not be a problem. They might be willing to pay any price if I can just address this one issue. So I might be highlighting all these features and benefits that are not even what they're focused on. They the reason why they're going to purchase is because they have a problem. They have some sort of pain point, and I need to know what that pain point is so that I can speak to the features that they are wanting to address so I can solve the problem that they're wanting to fix. Which makes asking questions such a great tactic. Yeah. Because you're going to go into any sales meeting with preconceived notions, with your ideas about what they need or what they want. Mm -hmm. But what you want to do in a sales meeting is you want to ask questions that give you the answers 
that reveals their problem so that you can shape your product or service offering to meet those specific needs or wants. Mm -hmm. Instead of starting the conversation by talking about your product or service, where you're sort of shooting in the dark, so to speak, you can explain the benefits and the features of your product to specifically address what they said. And since they were the one that said it already, it makes the sale much easier because they already articulated what their problem was. Right. And, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast regarding this retailer here in Morocco that wanted to focus on renewable products, on eco-friendly products, on fair trade, uh, on locally sourced products here mm-hmm. in Morocco. Mm-hmm. And I asked questions for 30 or 45 minutes to uncover all of these details. Right. Before I even spoke at all about my client and and our products. Now, it just so happens that it's a good match. It is a good match, in fact. I didn't have to lie or embellish. But I did know what to say and what to highlight. Exactly. And that makes uh, the selling process that much easier. Yeah. Another thing that's really important, I think, when it comes to sales is, is social validation. People like to buy things from people they like and trust. Yes. And one of the ways that you build trust with someone is they either get a recommendation or they see that you have positive reviews from people like them, companies like them in industries that they're in. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a study in the United States and it said that many people value online reviews almost as much as a personal recommendation from a friend. It is important that you have a public profile that promotes this social validation idea. Mm -hmm. Asking satisfied customers for recommendations, for ratings, for reviews, and putting them on your public profile, whether Mm -hmm. it's a Facebook page, a LinkedIn page, or a website. This is another very subtle but important part of selling because most people will do homework, they will do research before they meet with a potential supplier. Yeah, it's true. In the last contract that I I signed, they asked for recommendations. And so I actually just pasted some of the reviews I have on LinkedIn from other people that I've done training and consulting with. And it made me think, wow, I need to be soliciting this. I need to be asking for this more often so that I have an ongoing influx of of new reviews from more recent training times because some of them are now from 2017. They're becoming outdated. So I need to ask for feedback and ask for people that have been my customers to, to take the time to review me on LinkedIn in case a future person is either doing their homework or, or outright asks me for them. Another very important aspect of sales is not being afraid. You cannot be afraid to ask for a sales meeting. You cannot be afraid to ask for a referral. And you cannot be discouraged if the first answer is no or silence. Mm-hmm. One of the things that separates the best salespeople from the average is that they don't settle for silence. Mm -hmm. 
they follow up forever. Yeah. Meaning, if you had a positive interaction with a potential customer or a potential client, and they expressed some interest in you or your product or service, they gave you their contact information, you should follow up with them until you get a yes or a no. And I know a lot of salespeople will follow up maybe once, if they're very brave, maybe twice, and then they'll just stop. Mm -hmm. But we all know we're all busy, and we are not the most important person in the world to this potential customer. Mm -hmm. It is okay to expect from a potential customer a yes or a no. And don't be afraid to follow up forever because there may be some reason that they haven't been replying and your persistence may actually in the end result with a a sale yeah a perfect example is what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode i'm looking for office space Mm -hmm. one thing is for sure the agent who does not follow up with me is not going to get the sale whoever actually takes the time to follow up with me and call they have the opportunity to get a sale and I've been doing this for two weeks and not a single agent that I've worked with has actually called me again to say, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Have you found what you're looking for? <laughs> Have you thought about the property that I showed you? Yeah. Not a single person has done that yet. Yeah. This is not difficult. These are not uh, incredibly complicated tactics. Overcome your fear. Make the call. Follow up. Do your preparation and your research. Ask good questions. Mm -hmm. Know yourself and your product and your service and be able to articulate it. And have social validation. Another point about sales is that the gatekeepers are crucial. So important decision makers often have barriers between you and them. And that could be Uh, secretaries, that could be assistants, it could be lower level managers. And so there's almost a filtering process where you need to get through these different levels before the information ever reaches their desk. And even though they're the ones who make the final decision, you may not be meeting directly with them. And so in a way, you need to convince this this gatekeeper, this assistant or the secretary or this manager to be your sales rep to be your ambassador because sometimes you don't get the opportunity to sell directly to the decision maker. Now that's the ideal. As much as I can, I try to push through those lower levels to get to the person. Otherwise, I might be doing a fantastic job selling, but it's like taking a a tea bag and just dipping it into a bunch of different cups. Over time, the the potency is, is diluted. It's diminished. The flavor and the the color is lost. But Don't underestimate the power of those gatekeepers. If you treat them as lower than you and you don't make a good impression with them, your emails and your messages just may not be passed on or they may be slipped in at a really unideal time. A lot of directors put a lot of trust into their gatekeepers to help them filter the important opportunities that come their way. And so you really want to treat those people well, make a good impression, smile, make them have a better day, and uh, you'll see more favor granted to those that are making the decisions. In sales, gatekeepers are often unavoidable. Mm -hmm. And they often make decisions 
using different criteria than their superiors, than their bosses. It's important to understand these differences. The sales method can be different. For example, a gatekeeper is probably more concerned about how this product or service is going to make them look. Is it going to improve their standing? Is it going to impress their boss? Is it going to make their own job easier? Their first priority may not be, is this really good for the business? Yeah. So you need to sell them and motivate them to push you to the next level. And this may involve incentivizing the gatekeeper in certain ways by highlighting either aspects of the the overall business relationship or aspects of the product or service that truly will benefit them. Because if they really are the gatekeeper, they need to be motivated to buy the product or service. And then once you get to the actual decision maker, that may be a different conversation. You've been listening to the Business in Morocco podcast. My name is Ryan Kirk, here with my co-host, Ryan Maimon. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Download our entire library of podcasts on our website, moroccopodcast.com, where you'll also find extra resources related to each episode in the show notes, including a transcript of the show. If you've got a question or topic you think we should cover on the podcast, fill out the form on moroccopodcast.com or email us at ryan at moroccopodcast.com and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Our theme music is Lovely Day by Bill Withers, used under Creative Commons, and we hope you'll have a lovely day doing business in Morocco. We'll see you next time. Yeah.